cross prove? According to Jewish law, Deuteronomy 20, 23, 21-23, Jewish, uh, Jesus' execution showed that he was a criminal. It showed that he was under the curse of God and that he was in fact a heretic because it says, cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. And it shows that the Pharisees were right all along. That is what the cross proved to the first century mind and eye. In Luke, there's a, there's a, a passage where two men on the, are on the road to Emmaus, and they're conversing with one another, and, and they said about Jesus, seeing his crucifixion, they said, we had hoped that he would be the one that would redeem Israel. We hoped that. But now he's just been crucified. And we're going back to where we belong. So N.T. Wright has a question in his marvelous book called The Resurrection of the Son of God. A nice 800-pager. He, he asks the question, after Jesus was crucified... Why would anyone call him the Messiah? Why would anyone call Jesus of Nazareth the Messiah after he was crucified? Now, before he was crucified, that's fine. But after he is hung up on a Roman cross, mocked, spitten on, beaten, why would anyone call him the Messiah? And to add to that, why would the disciples who had just abandoned Jesus in the garden begin preaching that Jesus the, was the Messiah and gain this sudden boldness to preach in the face of almost certain persecution and death after he was crucified? What happened? What changed? For the answer, I'd like you to turn to Matthew 28. So I want to take you to the event that the Christian faith is based on. And then I want to tell you about the preaching that the Christian faith is based on. Matthew 28. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. Here's the, I want to take you to an event, a preaching, and then the witness. So here's the event. Here's the event that Christianity is based on. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb, 
with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is the event that Christianity is based on. The women were going to the tomb to embalm the body of Jesus, to prepare for the future resurrection at the end of the age that all God's people would go through. But then these very people, these women, become the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And they take hold of him and they worship him. So this is the event that is recorded here. That Jesus was dead at point A. And he was alive at point B. That's the reason for the Christian hope. Most people are alive at point A and they're dead at point B. But Jesus, with Jesus, it was the reverse. And that is why the disciples suddenly gained boldness to preach the Jesus they abandoned in the garden. That is why the Messiah was, was told, was said, it was Jesus that was the Messiah after he was crucified because Jesus of Nazareth was dead at point A, alive at point B, got up, walked out of the tomb, and left it empty behind him. That is the reason for the Christian hope. Now, I want to take you to three, three more passages here. So that's the event that it's based on. I want to take you to the apostles preaching in Acts, not a few weeks later. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> now, these three passages that I'm about to show you show the message of the disciples who abandoned Jesus in the garden, but then who saw Jesus risen from the dead. After the Holy Spirit comes down on the people, another bizarre occurrence happens in Jerusalem. People receive the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in tongues. Peter gets up to explain everything that's happening to the Jewish crowd watching in amazement. These are the same people that had crucified Jesus a few weeks ago. And Peter says, men of Israel, starting at verse 22, hear the words, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, now he's quoting a psalm that David wrote, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. 
You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, Peter continues, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, hear this, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. That blows my mind. And of that, we are all witnesses. It's not just an idea. It's not just a hope. He claims to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. That's why we're here today. You don't have to turn there if, if, if the turning is getting to you. But I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Here's now a, year, a few years later, maybe a decade or two later, the Apostle Paul writing about the resurrection of Jesus and the events that followed. And he said, now I would remind you, brothers, starting in verse 1, of the gospel, that means the good news, uh, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. Now get this. And then he appeared to Peter. And then to the 12 apostles. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive today, he says. <laughs> Do you catch the significance of that? He's saying most of the people that saw Jesus alive at point B are still alive. And you can question them if you want to. Paul seems rather confident that this happened within space-time, not just as an idea. Most of them are still alive today. That blows my mind because Paul is saying, go ask them whether they saw Jesus of Nazareth risen from the dead. One more passage. 1 John 1.4, towards the end of the Bible. Here's how John starts off his letter. That which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus, which we have heard, you hear things with your ears, physical ears, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and we have touched 
with our hands. We've heard it, we've seen it, and we've touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. That's why we're here today. What we have in the Bible is not just something that fell down from the sky. It didn't just fall down leather bound. What you have in the Bible is the accounts of Jesus of Nazareth's life and his subsequent resurrection from the grave. And what you have in the New Testament letters are witnesses of people who said they saw Jesus of Nazareth alive from the dead and died for that belief. That's what you have in the New Testament. Christianity, therefore, please understand, because some of you I haven't seen before, and I, I don't know where you are spiritually. But Christianity, please understand, is not based on a religious idea. It's not just based on a, a moral maxim. The Christian hope is based on an event that occurred in history, that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. That is what the Christian hope is based on. So, three things I'd like to draw out from that. Number one, the resurrection is the anchor of the Christian hope. So, uh, Christian, you don't have to answer the question, but Christian, do you have doubts? Do you have anxieties? Are you troubled about truths or things that have happened to you? Or are you? Do you have insecurities about your belief? The resurrection is the anchor. That's the anchor. Because if Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, then Christianity follows. What we're doing in theology is working out the details, coordinating different parts of Revelation. But the main point is this. If Jesus left an empty tomb after he was dead, Christianity follows and everything that he said falls into place. In Acts 17, the Apostle Paul is preaching and he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The resurrection is God's testimony that he has acted through Jesus of Nazareth to reconcile you back to God through his death on the cross. 
as, as Brother Patrick likes to say, it is, it is evidence, it is proof that the check did not bounce the resurrection. Amen. Now, if you're a skeptic today, or if you're a skeptic listening to or watching this sermon now or later, you might, you might say, yeah, I get into that Christian stuff, but I need some proof. You know, I, I need some proof. Why, why doesn't God just make himself more evident? Let me tell you right now that the witness of the scripture is that the testimony of God is the resurrection. He hasn't promised you any other proof. He hasn't, he hasn't promised anything else. What it says, according to the preaching of the apostles, is that he has given us assurance by raising Jesus from the dead. That is the testimony of Jesus. Third, if Jesus rose from the dead, it means that you should probably listen to him. It means that you, you would be wise to listen to what he says when he talks about salvation being in him and judgment being carried out by him later. And when he rose from the dead in Matthew 28, you know what he says? All authority has been given to me. Now, if someone has authority, that means they have the right to tell you what to think and do. That's, what we, that's why we come here. To sit under the authority of Jesus that the Father has given him, which we are enabled to carry out through the Holy Spirit. If you want to know more about how to be under the authority of Christ, to receive him as your Lord and Savior, I would love to speak with you after service about that. But the point I'm driving at, and we've been driving at here, is that the Christian hope is not rooted in an ecclesiastical church authority. Nor is it rooted in a religious notion or a moral idea. The Christian hope is rooted from an event in history, and God has given us assurance of that hope by raising Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. So, why would anyone call him the Messiah? It's because he rose to give evidence that he is. So, the resurrection is the Christian hope. I would like to offer a second theological point about the resurrection now. That it's not just the Christian hope, but it is the pattern for the Christian life. Christians go from death to life with Christ. So the, what I mean is that the Christian, if you, the offer of Christianity is a change of your being. It's a change of your inner spiritual constitution. It is a matter of passing from death to life with Christ. It is un undergoing a real, spiritual, ontological, metaphysical change in who you are because of Christ's resurrection. So this will become clearer if we look at Ephesians chapter 2. So let's turn there.
Now, how is it that the resurrection of Jesus, you might ask, occasions a change in the constitution of one's spiritual being? How does that, how does that work out? Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul explains to us your spiritual biography. God wrote your spiritual biography. If you want to know about your spiritual biography, here it is, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body and mind. And you were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's, that's, point, that's chapter one of your spiritual biography. Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But here it is. And if you, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, you're left there. But if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is a chapter two to your biography. In verse four. So you were dead. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. See, it starts with God's initiative and activity. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you, made you alive together with him and raised you up with him and seated you with him in heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. You were dead, chapter 1. Chapter 2, you were made alive together with Christ. So when Christ rose from the dead, your spirit was transferred back to AD 33, and you rose with him. And then it's not, it's even more than that. You are seated with him in a metaphysical spiritual reality in heavenly places as we currently sit here. You are locked in and secure by the grace of God that he has worked through Jesus Christ. So to be a Christian then is to be united with Christ. And we love union with Christ in this church because union with Christ is what salvation is it's more than just a transaction god said yeah okay you believe well i'm going to mark that down it is that but it's more it's you have been united to the life of christ that is christianity to me to be a christian as patrick was saying in his prayer is to have the life of christ within you that's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. You do go through a death with Christ as well. I'll get to that in a minute. But I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but is, it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Christian... 
It's not you who lives anymore. And anytime you fall victim to anxiety, fear, doubt, depression, being downcast, understand that's not the life of Christ in you. The life of Christ in you is mediated to you by the Holy Spirit who produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. Perfect peace. That's what, Christ is, that's what Christ's life is producing in you. And he will hold you fast. And you can be confident that though the earth gives way, he will hold you. So Jesus gave the illustration in John about a vine and branches. That's what our church is named after, Church of the Vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, if you take a branch, notice, and you cut it off from the tree and you throw it on the ground, it's not going to, have, it's not going to produce any fruit. Why is that? Why will it eventually die and wither? It's because there's no spiritual vitality. There's no, well, biological vitality running through it. There's no life running into it. It's disconnected from the rest of the tree. What, it, what needs to happen, it needs to be grafted back in to that tree. And if, if that's done properly, the life of that tree will begin to flow through that branch, and the vitality that that tree has in and of itself will be mediated to the branch, thus producing in it fruit. So, Jesus is the vine. He's the tree. And when you believed, repented, turned from your sins, and hold fast to faith in Christ, you were picked up from the ground like a branch. You were grafted into that tree. And now it is the life of Christ that flows through you. And if the life of Christ flows through you, do you understand what you have? You have an indestructible life in you. It was, according to Hebrews, the power of an indestructible life that raised him from the dead. Death could not hold him, the disciples say. So if that life is within you, though the body wastes away, you have a power of an indestructible life within you. So when I say that Christ's resurrection is the pattern for the Christian life, I mean you have immortality in your soul through the life of Christ. Do you understand this, Christian? Thirdly, so Christ's resurrection, a source of hope, amen for that, a pattern for the Christian life, but it is also a template for eternity. Because Christ is raised from the dead, there is also a future bodily resurrection for those who know him by faith. We're, we're not just, we're about this life, right? Christians need to be disciples, but it's, it's more. Because Christ's life never ends. 
And if you have Christ's life, your life, your existence will extend on into eternity with him. So, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is making the point that it's not just about this life. He says in verse 19, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Me and Patrick were just talking about some Christian churches who really... All they're doing is using religious language from the Bible to, in terms to cast um, their atheism in. They use the Bible, the terms in Scripture, as nice flowery ways to talk about secularism. But that's a miserable kind of existence. Because if, if in this Christ, if in this Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all most to be pitied. But, and there's always a but before something great happens in Scripture. However, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And he goes on to say that this perishable body, this body that's perishing, must put on what is imperishable. You must put on a robe of immortality. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Because Christ rose from the dead, and because you're united to that resurrection life, you will put on immortality, and your dying body will be swallowed up in victory. I probably gave you this analogy before, but you ever seen the movie Iron Man? You know, he's out there in this suit. It's the suit that makes him powerful. And all he has to do to activate this suit is, pr- suit is press a button, and it comes all over him, right? And it just, it covers him. That's what I picture the, the resurrection body like. My mortal fleshly body being swallowed up in victory at the resurrection of the righteous. So you... Uh, And it's not just so you are a physical body, but what happens after that? Revelation 11, 15. Then a seventh angel blew a trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world, of this world, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. It's this world that God is looking to redeem. He is not just trying to get us out of the world. He is trying to bring the kingdom into the world and put us back in it with resurrection bodies. I, I, I told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again. We went to Handel's Messiah, Nidia and I and Patrick and Erica, and it was amazing when they saw, when they we're singing this verse, hallelujah, hallelujah. The whole 
auditorium stood up on their feet. It was the most powerful thing I've ever seen. That a, that a horde of people were standing up saying, Hallelujah, the kingdoms of our, of our Lord have become the kingdoms of his Christ. They stood for that. Now, I understand that that's tradition to do at the Hallelujah Chorus. But does that not reflect what will happen? Because every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we will stand and look at our returning king. So, you are a new creation now. In spirit. And your physical body will follow suit in that trajectory so that your physical body becomes new creation as well. It becomes part of the regeneration. And then this world, this very world, will also be transformed. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. So everything in Christ will experience a resurrection with him. He is uniting all things to himself. Ephesians 1.10 So here's the thing. In, in conclusion, in Old Testament Judaism, the resurrection of the dead was a category. It was a theological category. It was something that would happen to the just in the ages to come, way in the future. The resurrection of the dead is something that would happen way in the future. But in New Testament Christianity, the resurrection of the dead has begun. And it has begun in Jesus Christ. That is why when Martha saw her brother had died, Lazarus, and she said to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus' response to her is, I am the resurrection and the life. It's begun now. And it has begun with the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. Amen? Amen. So the point of Christ's resurrection is to understand that he has pioneered the way through death, has come out the other side, and has locked arms with us and is taking us there to the resurrection. Christ is the only man that pierced heaven by going into the grave because he came out again. So we have a living hope. So when Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, what has he caused us to be born again to? He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation 
ready to be revealed at the last time. You, Christian, have a living, resurrected hope, and that is why we are here today. Let's close in a word of prayer.